Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Back to chapter... The fuck? Thursday. Chapter Thursday. At some point, Sabrina made her way back to the couch. Flipped channels. Found a court show like Judge Judy, except she was the judge. And the plaintiff, the bailiff, the audience. Everyone was shouting incoherently. She changed channels. Some kind of cop show. Screen Sabrina tracking down a murderer. Click. A soap opera. Hal had a very expensive suit and an eye patch and might have been a doctor. Click. I do want to say that there were a lot of eye patch wearing doctors in General Hospital. And I, I could have swore. I mean, I'm not trying to be that dude. But I thought to be a surgeon, you needed both eyes. Them doctors, though, had eye patches and were putting in work. I just, I don't know. Maybe as long as your hands don't shake. I couldn't be a, a, a surgeon because I get twitchy hands. My wife loves it. A game show. The set dressed like The Price is Right. A man with thick glasses reading from cue cards at a podium. Sabrina squinted at the screen. Her high school boyfriend, Daryl. No, Darren. Screen Sabrina played all three contestants. Her children were the prizes, locked in a birdcage hovering over the stage. All the contestants bet nothing, and everybody won. Sabrina reflexively hit the power button. The image on screen disappeared. She stood, realized she still wore her bathrobe, decided she didn't care. Probably Zephyr, checking up on her. She looked out the peephole. A swarthy man with a Chevy baseball cap stood on their stoop, inspecting his clipboard. She frowned, opened the door a crack. Hello? Mrs. Haskins? He jabbed a thumb over his shoulder. Your van. A flat bed sat in front of her house, her minivan on it. Finally. Sabrina listened to the man spill. The form required much initialing, and then the flat bed groaned, dropping her minivan in the driveway. The man asked her if she had any questions. She did, but none he could answer. The flatbed drove off. She realized she still stood in the driveway, keys in hand. Checked her watch, nearly one in the afternoon. She was hungry. Now that she had a car, she could go out to lunch. See what Jackson Hill had to offer. They were supposed to have nice restaurants. Maybe she could become a regular somewhere hip. A place where they put goat cheese on the salads. In Vegas, there was this place that we went to where they put goat cheese on the salad, and it was so good I learned how to do it at home. 
But at the same time, they also had tuna tartare that was so good that I want to learn how to do it at home because apparently my wife loves it. I didn't get a chance to try it because she wouldn't even share it. That's how good it was. They charged $5 for everything. And yet somehow our final bills always came up to like 100 bucks. You do the math. They were good. Huh, Sabrina muttered. She dumped her keys in a dish next to the spare for the Camry and went back into the living room. The TV tray sat next to the couch, bearing a Caesar salad and a glass of red wine. Sabrina sat down on the couch, sipped wine, plum and tobacco notes, and inspected the salad. This is why I don't like wine, because if I drink wine, it tastes like a cigarette, but I'm going to be upset. Like, wine just tastes like nasty to me. Champagne, too. Champagne is wine with bubbles. And rosés, like, I don't get any of them, but I love them for cooking. Same thing for beer. Alcohols, I can do tequila, rum, amaretto, scotch, maybe. But the rest of them, nah, I'm good. Fresh shade Parmesan, not goat cheese. She shrugged and turned on the TV. Damien got off the bus, excitement building. He had had a rather good day at school. Hot dogs for lunch, plus Mr. Tuthill seemed to be teaching the sword and the stone his actual history. The man's abject failure to even attempt to do his job was becoming endearing. But now that he was home, far more exciting things awaited him. Entering the cul-de-sac, Damien lowered his head to study the ground under his scuffed sneakers. Watched the world strictly through his peripherals. When he reached their front porch, Damien slipped off his shoes. Socked feet made less noise, and he preferred to move and thus appear silently. A small part of him wished he could lumber about the house like his idiot father, and maybe someday he would. He'd never admit it to Michaela, but his lifelong prank had to have some sort of endgame. Why spend childhood pretending to be possessed if there wasn't a reveal at the end of it all? Maybe this next one would be his last? He'd give Sabrina one good scare, and then come clean with the news he was just a normal albeit super-intelligent ten-year-old. You must be joking. Damien entered the foyer and paused, listening. The house was silent. Strange, because the family minivan may be the most embarrassing conveyance known to man, a species that invented both the pogo stick and the unicycle, was finally here. Sabrina should be about, and yet he didn't hear any shuffling house slippers, clanging of pots and pans, or stifled sobs. Damien sniffed the air, searching for that rank motherly stink that had plagued him all his life. Boiled radishes, although Michaela's swirl was just in his head. Now, though, the whole house reeked of bleach. Sabrina had been on a cleaning jag, evidently, despite the fact they had only just moved in and the other Haskins had yet to convert the place into their own personal pig pen. Damien nodded approvingly. Perhaps she was turning over a new leaf. A snore erupted from the living room, loud, rank, hoggish. Damien peeked his head in. There she was, sprawled on the couch in her bathrobe. An empty wine glass sat on the coffee table. No coaster. He rolled his eyes. Of course she had become a cliché, or even more of one. College dropout to stay-at-home mother was a well-trod path. A blood test would probably reveal the presence of all sort of pharmaceuticals. He gave the room a cursory glance, noticing the static pouring from the television, the DVD cases strewn on the floor at the foot of the couch, the remote still clutched in her hand. 
shook his head at the sad, sad scene. A flicker of something, empathy maybe, flared in the back of his mind, but he dismissed it. If anything, the tableau at the front of him made him even more sure of the course he had chosen. Sabrina was asking for it. He stood over her for ten minutes, slack-jawed, hoping she'd wake up and scream at the sight, but no. Annoyed, he stalked upstairs, reminding himself of the afternoon silver lining. She had a car, finally. The second he had the house to himself, he would enact his plan. Yet another message from Michaela's alt. Leave her alone. He sent her back a picture of Johnson's baby shampoo. No more tears. And went about his business. Sabrina Haskins woke up feeling like her phone had been ringing for a very long time. She blinked, looked down at her phone, just as it stopped buzzing. Eleven missed calls. All from the same unfamiliar number. No messages. Sabrina was about to call the number back when her phone rang again. Same number. Hello? Mrs. Haskins. The voice was male, deep, flat, businesslike. She was pretty sure they were paid up on all their bills. This is she, Sabrina replied, rising off the couch. Her legs swayed, unsteady from an afternoon's disuse. She planted a hand on the couch's arm. Ah, hello. <laughs> a muffled cough echoed from the other end. We haven't met. Bill Ramstead, house boss? Oh, hi. Sabrina poked her head into the kitchen to check the microwave clock. 4.30. What can I do for you? Sorry to call you like this, Ramstead said, but your husband is in the hospital. How? After she had another. Started getting stomach pains after lunch. We thought it was just indigestion, but after about an hour later, Raina found him passed out on the floor in his office. Paramedics said they'd have someone call you from the hospital. They didn't, huh? No? That's bureaucracy for you. Well, glad I called then. House tough. I'm sure he'll pull through, but uh, you might want to get over there and see what's going on. Jackson Hill Presbyterian. You know it? We're new. Of course you are. I can send Raina to get you. Sabrina looked out the window. My car finally came. How about that? You change your mind, you give me a call, okay? Ramstad clicked off. Sabrina stood there, phone to her ear, wondering if the conversation had actually happened or if it was like the TV. Realish, an illusion boring on delusion. Maybe it was a house, pretend to be house boss, although why would it do such a thing? One way to find out. She found the hospital, a sprawling, ultra-modern glass complex with numerous outbuildings, the Crane Cardiology Institute, Hutchinson Center for Obstetrics and Gynecology. Sliding into a visitor space, she kept thinking about the Camry back at Hal's office. Likely would sit there until Hal recuperated, because who'd help Sabrina bring it home? Raina? Whoever that was? Zephyr probably rode a bicycle, maybe a broomstick, and Michaela was years away from even asking for her learner's permit. Locking the car? It occurred to Sabrina she decided this was very serious. Even though for all she knew, Hal might just need an IV and some Zofrin. Food poisoning, right? Strange. She was always so careful. Washed her hands and wiped the counters after handling raw chickens, eggs. Except she hadn't made Hal's lunch, had she? Excuse me, ma'am, an orderly muttered, almost knocking her over with the cart loaded down with hospital supplies. Sabrina had wandered right into reception without even realizing it. She approached the front desk, 
gave her name. They directed her to a very uncomfortable plastic chair where she waited for an interminable amount of time before someone told her to go up to the third floor. Sabrina wandered until she found a nurse's station, got further directions, and finally ended up in Hal's room. Of course, he was asleep. She didn't want to wake him, so she sat down in another uncomfortable chair until a nurse came in to check Hal's vitals. The woman grunted at Sabrina's questions, scribbled on a clipboard, and said someone will be along soon. Ooh, that's a bad nurse. Like, she ain't giving no information? Like, if the spouse is there, and this is the first time she's been in the room, and this is the first time you've seen her, and she's asking you questions, you're incumbent to kind of give some sort of info. Like, something. That's just rude. I snitch. Oh, go Karen on him. Oh, all the way in. Ask for a refund on the bill. That'll get their attention. Sabrina watched Hal sleep. Peaceful. Very peaceful, aside from the flushed skin and sweat beating his brow, and wondered if he was dreaming. Footsteps clicked down the hall. A woman entered, pantsuit, hair pulled back in a loose ponytail. She looked nothing like a doctor and everything like a cop. Mrs. Haskins? Everyone was calling her that now. Sabrina was so used to mom and hun and other familiar diminutives, even Brina. Hal's idiot shorthand because three syllables was one too many for him. Baby, how often do you think I'm an idiot? Be honest, please. Yeah, that grin gave you away. How often do you think I'm an idiot, baby? This woman thinks her husband's an idiot an awful lot. I don't think you're an idiot a lot. Fuck you. Also, thank you. But fuck you. I love you. <laughs> Miss <laughs> Haskins felt strange, foreign, even though she had been exactly that for a third of her life. Sabrina, Sabrina said, standing. The woman motioned for her to remain seated. Sabrina noticed she didn't carry a purse. Detective Sherman, the woman said, extending a hand, short, well-manicured nails, a simple gloss. Sabrina took her hand without thinking. I'm waiting for the doctor. I just spoke with her, a Dr. Gotti Potty. She seems very good. Sabrina nodded. That's uh, what you want, I guess. Mm. Sherman gestured at the doorway. Mind if we talk in the other room? It'll only take a moment. Sure? Sherman moved away from the door, waited for Sabrina to get up, then drew alongside her. She guided Sabrina to a small break room where they sat at a round table covered in crumbs. The detective pulled a small spiral-bound notebook from her pocket. Mind if I take a few notes? No? Great. She drew one leg over the other. What have they told you so far? Nothing. I haven't talked to anyone. Sabrina scratched the dirt trapped under a nail. You're a police detective? Correct. What? What's a police detective doing here? Just detectives, okay. Sherman's nostrils twitched. Have you been drinking, Miss Haskins? No? Sherman scribbled something on her notepad. You're new here, right? As of last Saturday. Welcome. Sherman looked up from her notes, gave a passably genuine smile. Getting settled? Sabrina shrugged. Moving's a real nightmare, Sherman said. I'm from Boulder originally, but it's a great community. Really is. Have you been to R.J. Fluffernetters? No. What paths for culture here? Video games, skee-ball, stuff like that. 
Your kids will love it. You have kids, right? Michaela and Damien. Sherman scribbled. That's great. I love kids. I always thought I'd have a couple of my own by now. I'm sure with the job, it's it's tough meeting someone. You can say that again. Cops date cops. And if you see in the department, Sherman arched an eyebrow. Gosh, can you believe what I'm stuck with? Anyway, I think you met one of my colleagues a few days ago, actually. Officer Stevens? Sabrina could barely picture the man, but she nodded anyway. Got an update for you, Sherman said. We'll get to that in a second. How are things with you and how? Good? No fights. Moving can be a real strain. Sabrina shook her head, confused as to where this is going. That's good. Look, the reason I'm here, Sabrina, I, I can call you Sabrina, yes? Yes? Reason why I'm here, the doctors ran some preliminary tests and it looks like Hal might have ingested something. Pretty routine, covering all the bases. He's going to be okay, by the way. He is? Sherman fixed her with a strange look. People usually ask that. Ask what? If they'll be okay. Their loved ones. Have you and Hal had any arguments lately? No. But they had, hadn't they? Sabrina's chest tightened. What if they knew about the psychiatrist? The outburst at dinner. But what did this have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. Sherman muttered, writing. Writing, writing, writing. She asked more oddly specific questions, whether Sabrina made Hal's lunch or not, and how could she answer that without lying or sounding like a complete loon? Clearly, she said yes. After asking the same five questions seemingly a few dozen times, Sherman set her pad aside and fixed Sabrina with a serious look. I need to ask you this specifically, and you need to be honest with me, Sabrina. Can you do that? Be honest? Damn. Sabrina nodded. Has Hal ever hit you? Sabrina sucked in a quick breath like she had been punched. Of, of course not. The detective's eyes never strayed from Sabrina's. He's in the other room. He can't hear you. Anything you want to tell me, Hal's never hit me. The thought had never even crossed Sabrina's mind. A couple of her other boyfriends, the guys who came wrapped in leather jackets, pulling cocaine-crusted dollar bills out their chain wallets to buy her an extraordinary late dinner at Waffle House, those boyfriends, they hadn't hit her either, but with one or two, sometimes she had said something, and all of a sudden, the air stilled, highly pressurized, like right before a storm where you could smell the rain on the wind. And that single moment stretched out so long, she thought if she blinked, she'd find herself on her back in a hospital bed. Not like with Hal. Sure, they fought and said things they shouldn't, just like anyone did. But he had never raised a fist to her in anger, nor she to him, and Sabrina knew neither of them ever could. The detective didn't. I tell you, Sabrina said. I promise. Sherman reached in her suit jacket, handed Sabrina a card. My personal cell's on there. Sabrina slid the card into her purse. You said you had some news about the... She struggled to find the right words. Prowler? Right, one second. The detective pulled out her phone, scanned what Sabrina presumed to be an email. Question for you first. The box officer Stevens dusted for fingerprints. That was left by the previous owners? No, it was ours. Why? Hmm. Sherman tapped a nail on her phone screen. Ordinarily, this stuff takes forever. She rolled her eyes, the slowly turning wheels of justice, am I right? But we actually had the purse fingerprints in the system. 
longtime friend of ours. He is? Have you ever met a Dirk Perryman? No, I don't think so. See, that's why I asked if the box came with the house. Mr. Perryman is a former resident. Sabrina blinked. He is? Did he? She swallowed, her mouth awfully dry. Die in the house? Huh? Detective Sherman gave her a weird look. Perryman's not dead. In, in fact, he's in prison. What? Vehicular manslaughter. Really nasty, but before my time. Prior to that, he was well acquainted with Jackson Hill PD. Ran a bit of a party house. Booze, drugs, a real nuisance. The gears in Sabrina's mind turned. You're sure he's in prison? Checked myself. Not going anywhere either. He's got a bit of an attitude problem. Oh. Nothing about it made sense. How had a convict gotten his fingerprints on their box? Even if he used to live there. Do you... Do you have a picture of him? Sherman shrugged. Push your phone to Sabrina's hands. Knock yourself out. Sabrina stared down at the phone screen. A black and white mug shot stared back at her. A large man, piggish eyes, vaguely drunk expression. The same man Sabrina had seen in her basement. Without question. The room swirled around her. I don't feel so good. Well, Sherman said standing, this is the place for it. Jackpot. Damien was alone, finally. No Sabrina, no Michaela, no Hal. Not that his father would have noticed anything amiss anyway. Now he could begin. Damien stepped out into the backyard. The shed door was half open. Dumb move. He must have left it like that the evening before when the farmer delivered his supplies. Thankfully, Michaela had nose around, unless she had left the door open. Damien ran to the shed, stuck his head inside. Something landed in his hair. He yelped, brushed it out. Couldn't see what. A dark shape skittered under the lawnmower. He thought about yanking the ripcord, pureeing the disgusting little creepy crawly, but he didn't have time. Donning a pair of work gloves, shaking them out first naturally, Damien grabbed the first canister of blood, hauled it bow-legged back into the house. He set the vessel in the mudroom, then went back and got the other. Hauling them upstairs proved more of a chore, but with the proper motivation and plenty of naughty words, Damien moved everything into its proper place. Rigging the device above Sabrina's bedroom doorway was easy by comparison. He designed the contraption with his usual brilliance. Had no doubt it would work. With the tripwire set, he stole one of Michaela's old baby dolls, the most realistic one he could find, and slathered it in blood. Just a little something to wave around. Then he went downstairs to enact phase three. A little symbology would go a long way. He took a knife from the kitchen, shoved the coffee table out the way, and started carving a pentagram in the floor. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, Sabrina's a jerk and an asshole for the way that she treated her son since birth, but Damien is still an evil motherfucker. Like this shit right here? Okay, so your parent is a horrible parent. Your parent uh, mistreats you, maligns you, whatever it may be. I understand. That's fucked up. It's completely shitty. And in all of those am I the asshole things that I see on Facebook from Reddit, I always say the parent is the asshole. Sight unseen. It's a given. But what you're doing right here is a bit fucked up. It's a bit much. Also, you carving a pentagram into my floor, do you know how much it costs to replace a wooden floor? Hardwood? Ah, oh, my nigga, you about to be out there buffing and sanding. I'm booming and a shaking. A booming and a cranking. You about to be working.
And all of this shit, the blood, the baby doll, all of this, because you want to prove to your mom that you're not evil. And after you do it, you're going to be like, I'm just kidding. I'm a good kid. And hope she believes you when she already thinks you're the fucking devil's son. All right, smartest boy in the world. Have fun. His phone kept going off. More text, certainly. But he paid it no mind. Michaela could try to stop him, but there was nothing she could. What are you doing? His sister shrieked, standing in the doorway. Dammy ignored her, kept etching. So intent in his task, he never noticed a hundred pounds of angry sister weight barreling down on him. Sabrina drove home from the hospital, head spinning. The last few hours had really done a number on her. Hal woke up, confused but seemingly out of the woods. The doctors were running some additional tests, and they planned to continue monitoring him for at least another day. They had questions, too, asking after Hal's allergies, diet, where he bought groceries. The detective Sherman had hovered at times obsequious, asking Sabrina if she wanted coffee, at other times silent, staring, judging. Sabrina didn't care for her at all, or the way she thought she heard a nurse say poison. She cared even less for the information the detective shared. Who was this Dirk Perryman anyway? If he had died in the house, that would make a little sense. Spooky sense. Halloween sense. This didn't. How had this living man sitting in a correctional facility managed to apply his fingerprints to a Haskins family moving box? How had Sabrina seen him? Her phone rumbled on the seat next to her. Michaela. Sabrina realized she had not told either of her children of what happened to their father or where she was and wondered if she was the worst wife and mother on the planet. Wife? Probably not. Mother? Shaky! I don't really know. Like the relationship you have with Michaela, that seems like just a normal mother-daughter, we hate each other relationship, which is also problematic. Like honestly, the whole idea of mom's disliking their daughters and saying oh yeah she thinks she grown and all that kind of stuff just it, it i don't know i don't know i see it a lot not as much as i used to like you used to see it all the time especially in like black families for me but again i'm gonna say that again with the uh disclaimer that i don't know a lot of fucking white people and i don't know a lot of asian folks and i don't know a lot of mexican families so the folks that i know that had these issues were the folks that i was around and the moms and the daughters that i knew at some point them motherfuckers ended up throwing hands that's all i know like the mother was like you smelling yourself and the next thing i knew they were throwing hands in the fucking kitchen pulling hair and shit which is just fucking bonkers, right? Like, you're literally fighting your daughter and you're hoping things can get back to normal, but you're literally throwing hands with your child because you think she's smelling herself? You think she's grown? Like, is this competition? Like, what exactly goes through your head at that point in time for this violence to happen against a child that trusts you and depends on you to give them life and livelihood and all of a sudden you're punching them in the face? Nah, there ain't no coming back from that. My daddy punched me in the face once, though. Actually, I take that back. He punched my brother in the face. He knocked that motherfucker the fuck out. I went to school. After he knocked that nigga out, I thought an education was my best option. See, we had stayed out all night. We weren't supposed to. We knew we weren't supposed to. The next day was a fucking school day. But we went to this amusement park with my cousins who were, you know, the ones in the family. 
and um, we didn't call my dad. My mom was out of town, so we didn't call my dad. My my brother, the punk ass, is older than me, and so I was just with him. He was my fucking hero. I was riding with him. We went to Great America, which is about 200 miles away, 150 Something like that. It ain't close. Anyways, we went out there and had a, a, a time. It was a good time. And then we went to my aunt's house where the cousins lived. And we stayed there overnight. And I guess my brother had in his mind, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. So um, so we stayed there overnight. And then we came home. Apparently, my mom... And dad had been calling each other all night trying to figure out where the fuck we were and had been calling the police and everything and weren't too happy when we just strolled into the house like nothing happened. So when my brother strolled in the house like nothing happened, he caught the worst. Like, he caught it to the face. And my dad said some horrible things about my brother and said some horrible things about my mom that I never forgave him for and then knocked him the fuck out. And then he looked at me and I went to fucking school. And after school, I went to basketball uh, conditioning. And when I got back home, my mom was there. So there was no more fisticuffs. But that was the only time I've ever seen a, a guy throw punches at his son. But I know that shit happens too. But the thing about it is, I don't understand fucking parents who get to the place where they want to fight their children. Like, you can get mad, sure. You can get upset, sure. But the strength that you have and the, the position of power you have in that relationship should inherently keep you from abusing it in such an egregious manner. Of course, you know, people still give whoopings, too. So there's that. Getting a belt out and then talking to your kid for 45 minutes before you whoop him. I don't know which one's a bigger torture chamber. It was probably being talked to. My mom didn't have very much wrist strength, but she was passionate. <sighs> but yeah, uh, you're probably a pretty fucking bad mom overall, or uh, Sabrina. I just can't prove it yet. Your daughter's a twin. You'll probably fight her by the time she's like, what, 16? That's about the time the daughters get punched in the fucking face? Around 16? Get told they're smelling themselves because, you know, they have a boyfriend. I know one woman, oh, one woman who literally got married and then fought her daughter because she thought her daughter was trying to get at her husband. It turned out the husband was a fucking pervert. But the mom didn't believe the daughter because she thought that her husband was telling the truth. Yeah. Y'all motherfuckers are some motherfuckers. I'll tell you what. She didn't have her AirPods, so she tucked the phone between her chin and shoulder. Hello? Mom? Where are you? On the way home. Should she say something now? Or what? Sit Michaela down? God knew Damien went so much as blink at the news his father had been hospitalized. Okay. What are we doing for dinner? Sabrina hadn't even thought of that. Order pizza, she said. Put it on the card in the drawer. The one you've been using to buy movies on iTunes, Sabrina almost added. Pizza again? Michaela said. The phone slipped. Sabrina pushed her jaw into her shoulder to keep it in place. I'm almost home, just... Oh, I guess Damien ordered pizza, Michaela said. What? Sabrina could hear her daughter's footsteps over the phone, clomping through the house like a wildebeest. There's a pizza on the counter from... Sabrina could almost picture her bent over the pizza box, squinting. 
Michaela hated her glasses, and their old optometrist said she wasn't ready for contacts yet. Someplace called Morio's? Mario's? No, Morio's with an O. Throw it away. What? A cop pulled out from a side street up ahead. Sabrina flipped on the speakerphone, keeping it level with the dash so it wouldn't look like she was merrily flaunting the state's hand-free law. I said throw it away. But Damien, your brother didn't order it. Not that Damien will order pizza anyway. It's too helpful. I'll explain when I get home. Just don't eat anything. In fact, take your brother in. The cop suddenly pulled over to the side of the road. No lights. And Sabrina dropped the phone in her lap so he wouldn't see. Mom? Michaela called, voice muffled by Sabrina's lap. Mom? Hold on, Sabrina shouted. She passed the cop, kept her eyes locked on the rear view. Petrified, he flipped his flashers on. The cop stayed put. Sabrina fished the phone out of her lap. I'll be home in five minutes. She had no idea how far away she was. Parents never do. My wife, my beloved, tells us all the time that she's right down the street when she's on the freeway. She tells us she's on the freeway when she's still at wherever she was at. She says she's still wherever she was at when she's not even there. It becomes a guessing game. Like we have this app now that allows us to see where you are and it'll be like, yeah, I'm at work. Mm, You're on the freeway. I'm on my way. Nah, you're still at work. I don't tell them shit. I'll just be like, I'm coming. I'll be there in like four minutes and I get there in like two minutes so then I can catch them once. I did catch him. My eldest, I came up to the house and she had a boy in the house. And we had a garage door at that time that was squeaking, would make noise when the garage opened. So that was the signal to get them the fuck out the house. But we had garage door openers. My wife and I and my daughter wasn't the smartest person in the world because she was still a teenager. So I parked my car in front of the house, opened the garage, drove into the garage, got out of my car, walked to the front steps, pushed the garage door button to close the garage, and this boy literally ran out the front door directly into my arms. That was fun. Little Mexican boy. Who the fuck are you? Uh, uh, I'm studying with I'm, I'm studying with your daughter. Oh, what y'all studying? You know. And then he took off running. She was so embarrassed. It was great. I don't know what happened to her. That was a while back. She's definitely not the same person she was when she was that age. Because kids never are. You know, they they grow. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I jumped out of a girl's window, I'd have at least six. Six dollars. Four of them were for fun. Two of them were really because the dad was coming through the door. One of them, I knocked my head on the air conditioning unit and damn near knocked myself out. That was interesting. But yeah, don't do anything until then, okay? Ugh, fine. This is so dumb, Michaela said. I'll see you soon, Sabrina said. Thumb moving to end the call. Mom? What? Sabrina drove past the street she was 90% sure was the one she wanted. She needed to get off the phone, give up on understanding the Byzantine layout of their new town, and Google their darn address. I don't want to, Michaela said, voice hazy and insubstantial. Mom? 
stronger now, firmer. Damien's planning something. This is the last thing she needed right now. What do you mean? He, he's obsessed with messing with you, okay? Messing with me? That's what he's all about, making you crazy. And he's got this new idea. I don't know all the details, but he's... I want you to know so you're not scared because it's scaring me and... Sabrina understood precisely nothing of what her daughter was saying. Damien planning something? He was malicious, certainly, but developmentally stunted. It sounded ridiculous. I'll be home soon, Sabrina said, ending the call. She thumbed over to the Maps app and tried to type in her address while keeping her eyes on the road. Sabrina pulled into the driveway a little after six. A pang struck her, the same worry about Hal's car, what they'd do with it. She got out and paused, a strange whirring sound drawing her attention. Plus a scent in the air, freshly cut grass. The noise grew louder, coming from the backyard, and then he came around the side of the house. Dirk Perryman. The man who was supposedly in prison and not a very nice person at all to hear Detective Sherman tell it. He pushed a rusty red and white mower, the canvas bag fat with grass clippings. Sweat drenched his brow, stained his t-shirt. He stopped next to the downspout, stepped away from the mower, and wiped his head with an old bandana. Hey! Sabrina yelled, then reflexively clamped a hand over her mouth. Perryman startled, dropped the sweaty bandana on the ground. Then he saw her and smiled. Oh, you scared me, he said, voice so deep, scared sound more like scarred. Sabrina gaped. I scared you? Gotta go, Perryman shouted. He dropped to his hands and knees, baby crawled to the downspout, a hysterically tiny aperture, and pushed his head inside, skull squishing, God help her, squishing like Play-Doh to fit. His massive paw scrabbling at the dirt for leverage, pushing his bulk further into the piping inch by inch, skin stretching like taffy. The downspout bulged and shook all the way to the gutters, like a boa swallowing a particularly tenacious mouse. What the what? she muttered. Mom! Michaela yelled. Sabrina glanced over at the front porch. Her daughter stood there, hands on hips, an odd look on her face. Who are you talking to? Michaela asked. Sabrina waved her away, stumbled towards the door. She couldn't begin to process what she had seen to slot it into her mental Rolodex of incredibly messed up phenomena witnessed over the past six days. She needed to get inside, dispose of the mystery pizza, and then... What? Leave? Stay? Burn 4596 James Circle to the ground and salt the earth? She couldn't even make up her mind about the house. One second it was terrifying, the next helpful. She had been sleeping like crap. Nothing seemed to make sense. Had the house actually done something to Hal? Was it trying to do something similar to the rest of her family? How could she know, and what should she do about it? If anything. Sabrina stopped just before the door. Michaela looked at her strangely. Mom? Come look at this, Sabrina said, grabbing her daughter's wrist. Michaela tried to shy away, but Sabrina held tight, pulled her down the front steps. Ow, Michaela said. I can walk. Sorry. Sabrina released her grip. Red marks remained, fingerprints standing in stark relief against her daughter's skin. Evidence. But then they faded. Michaela rubbed her wrist, glaring at Sabrina. What are you showing me? Over here, Sabrina said, rounding the house. The downspout looked utterly normal and obviously incapable of swallowing a man whole. 
and pointed to the abandoned lawnmower sitting in an unfinished strip of grass. So? Michaela crossed her arms. That's Damien's job. Cutting the lawn was one of the few tasks allotted to the youngest Haskins sibling. They didn't trust him with it. That would be ridiculous, giving a kid like that unfettered access to a pair of whirring blades and a whole gallon of gas. So he did his duty under heavy supervision from Hal, who for his part mostly sipped beers and listened to sports talk radio on his phone. But thus far, no one had lost a finger. Damien wasn't doing it, Sabrina said. When I came home, this man used to live here. The police told me. He's in prison, so he shouldn't be here, but he is. I saw him cutting the grass, and then... Sabrina kicked the spout gently. I don't understand. What? Sabrina threw her head back and screamed, actually screamed at the sky, a burst of anger and frustration that sent the crow's personal neighbor's tree running for cover. The cry echoed in the late afternoon air. Her head sank into her chest. Tears filled her eyes. She leaned against the house, forehead pressed against the cool aluminum siding. Her chest hitched. She thought she might fall to pieces. She stood there for a very long time, worried as she were losing her mind. Terrified she already had and would never, ever know. Michaela called Mom's name, tugged her sleeve, poked her. Nothing. Mom, increasingly unhinged these last few days, even to a 12-year-old's eye, had gone catatonic, apparently driven mad by the lawn. Almost funny, Damien had been plotting and scheming for so long, coming up with more ever-elaborate ways to manipulate their mother, when all he needed to do was neglect his chores? Figured. Michaela took real pride in hers, but her parents rarely noticed. Just because Damien acted so weird, he got all the attention. Damien wasn't cutting the grass. After catching him carving his pentagram, Michaela dragged him upstairs by his ear. He pleaded with and threatened her, but she wouldn't budge, and she was still a few inches bigger than him. No matter what, she resolved to tell her parents his secret and put an end to his nonsense once and for all. Then Mom called, and Michaela tried to tell her, dodging stink face from Damien the whole time, but Mom wouldn't listen, and Dad was nowhere to be found, and something was going on, but as per usual, nobody told Michaela anything. And then the little, she grit her teeth, trying to come up with the right word to describe her brother, the little so-and-so slipped away. To mow the lawn? Maybe Damien started his chores before she had gotten home, even though he wasn't supposed to use the mower without Dad, then taking his pentagram carving break. Whatever. She needed to figure out what to do about Mom. Michaela went inside, got her phone from the living room. She dialed Dad's cell. No answer. Should she call 911? That was only for emergencies, and Mom didn't seem hurt. She wasn't bleeding. Michaela didn't want to get in trouble. Damien, she finally called. Damien! No answer. Of course he was no help. This was this sick little dream come to life. Back when it was all a game, and especially when Michaela was royally PO'd at her parents, such an outcome seemed funny because it was so clearly a fantasy. Michaela always thought Damien, for all his precocious genius, would only succeed in making Mom believe he shouldn't be allowed to use the adult scissors. But now? Mom flipping out over the grass, screaming nonsense at the sky, and breaking down in tears? Crazy wasn't some far-off country, some esoteric destination of which they'd never arrived. Paired with the journey steeped in delight, whimsy, and secretive sibling bonding as the Haskins kids lemony snicketed their way out of childhood. Crazy was here.
and it scared her. Damien, she tried one more time, louder. The house groaned in response. Michaela headed out the door. Her mother still leaned against the side of the house, face and hands, still as the aluminum siding, unresponsive. Mom. Michaela scrolled through her contacts all hundreds of miles away. None of them could help. Who? The neighbor. Her and mom were friendly, right? Low that she was to admit it, she very badly needed an adult. Damien crept around the side of the house, moving in a crouch like Fortnite, completely silent. Except this time, he wasn't gripping a shotgun in the Avatar's animated hands. This time, he had something even better. As soon as Michaela got distracted by the phone call, he had slipped past her, hidden in the hall closet behind the laundry basket, pouting. He had put so much effort into this, and now his stupid sister was going to ruin everything. Until the screaming started. Damien knocked over the laundry basket, spilling soiled socks and underwear into the hallway. He peeked out his parents' window. Down in the yard, Michaela fussed over a seemingly frozen Sabrina, who seemed to be having some kind of fit, then ran back into the house. She called his name, but he didn't answer. Then she left again. He moved to his own window and watched her hurry across the street. Very strange. Damien crept downstairs and out the back to see what the fuss was all about. Maybe they had found a dead cat or something. Why that would send Michaela running for the neighbors, he couldn't fathom, but nothing about the odd to blow he had witnessed made much sense. Rounding the side of the house, the first thing he noticed was the lawnmower, the partially cut strip of grass. Who had been doing yard work? Michaela? He hated it, but it was his job to hate, not hers. Instinctively, he laid the back of his free hand against the motor. Still warm. Strange. But stranger still was the sight presented when he rounded the corner, Sabrina burrowing her face into the aluminum siding, tears streaming down makeup-smeared cheeks, shoulders hitching, lank hair plastered to her forehead, a ghoulish pallor in her skin. Damien froze, unsure what he had walked in on, and some primal emotion cut through years of bored disdain. Reflexively, without a care for the long, long chess game he had played, a single word popped out of his lips. Mama? Sabrina gulped. Her head turned inexorably slowly in his direction. Her eyes met his, took in her youngest child or the thing he had made himself into for her detriment. Her eyes went wide, filled with fear and knowing. Again, once more, she screamed. Monster! She had known all along, since Dr. Sapirstein told her Damien consumed his womb mate, stolen any chance she'd ever have to know and love her third child, and now, here it was, right in front of her, proof positive she had been right, right, right. The Damien she had known was gone, replaced by, there was no other word for it, a demon, his skin was blood red, twisted horns grew from his forehead, yellow cat's eyes blazed in the dark recesses of his skull. He cradled a bloody fetus under his arm like a normal boy might a football helmet. His dead sibling, perhaps? And worst of all, he called her mama. His voice a mocking parody of a child's love, like the gravelly pit birth blasphemies of the demon inside Reagan. The scorn-drenched timber, a refutation of the word itself, and all the weight that came with it. Mama, 
mom, ma, mother, madre, mer, mother, mor, matka. Any diminutive of mother in any language from that mouth, a lie. It's only meaning malice. She fled, wailing. The word mama clung at her back. Again and again, the demon thing's voice ratcheting between plaintive and hysterical, but every word a drip with profound mockery. Reaching the house, Sabrina fell up the front steps, banging her knees, biting her tongue. She flung herself at the door. It opened for her, and she fell into the house. The door slammed shut. Sabrina fumbled with the deadbolt until it slammed home, looked around, breathing heavily. Her gaze settled on the living room. Disturbed and disturbing. A partially finished pentagram carved into the floor, black candles arranged around it. The air reeked of blood. She felt sick. This was what Michaela tried to tell her? Damien had what exactly? Summoned up his true self from hell, which apparently existed in an entirely literal sense? Never mind the pentagram lay unfinished, a rough scratching in their beautiful hardwood floors. She had no clue how these things worked. All she knew was this. Hell was here, in her home. And since the moment a bad bolt of sperm poisoned a wicked egg, it had always been. Damien was knocking on the front door, pounding and yelling muffled things in his ancient deceiver's voice. Sabrina ran to the back door and locked that too. The locks couldn't hold him for long, could they? Panting, desperate, her eyes alighted on the knife rack. But she quickly looked away, pressed her hands together in prayer, awkward, unfamiliar, and offered up half-remembered words of devotion to a God who logically should actually still be listening, all things considering. In response, the TV in the living room turned on, blaring a commercial for some new kind of laundry detergent. So loud she couldn't hear the bathtub upstairs, starting to run. Damien ran after his mother. Mama! But her legs were far longer, propelled by terror. This was the result he expected, the result he desperately desired. Sabrina fleeing from him, stricken with fear, and yet he knew viscerally and intellectually that he hadn't caused any of it. Made it worse, maybe. She fell on the porch, threw herself through the doorway, slammed the door in his face. Damien stood on the front porch, panting, reached for the doorknob, locked. He felt ridiculous, beyond ridiculous, caked with dime store demon makeup, chasing a grown woman and a mentally ill one at that. What had he become? Damien reached up, grabbed a horn and ripped it away, leaving a tacky residue of spirit gum on his brow. He tossed it in the bushes, reached for the other one and froze when the porch groaned under a weight three times his own. Damien, half-horned, whirled around. A man stood on the steps, large, dirty, wearing a once-white t-shirt, belly strained in the fabric. He had a very square head and short hair. A wide grin strained his face. You're Damien, right? Damien's head whipped from one neighboring house to the other, to the curb, trying to figure out the man was simply a neighbor he had not met, or a landscaper, or... or... How do you know my name? Damien asked. I've been helping out your mother, the man said, cocking his chin at the house. She needs a lot of help. 
Damien couldn't exactly disagree, but, but still, who are you? The man chuckled, gazing down at the porch steps. I'm me, and you're you. And Damien, I'm sorry to say this, but he fixed Damien with a very serious stare, the kind of look parents and teachers gave him when he crossed a line. You've made things very difficult for your mother. And we simply can't have that. The man lunged. Damien jumped back. The doorknob slammed into his lower back. And then the man had him wrapped up in a bear hug, pressing Damien's face into his chest. And he couldn't see anything, but he could smell a thick, overwhelming, cloying, horribly familiar miasma sense. Not male musk and grass clippings, as his appearance might suggest. But wood, mothballs, dust, bleach, baking cookies, just like their house. Michaela raised a fist to pound the door and then froze midair. She didn't want to look crazy, so she rang the doorbell instead. Shot a look over her shoulder. Her mother was fixated on something around the side of the house. Disturbing, but at least she hadn't gone anywhere. No one came to the door. Michaela rang the doorbell again, shuffling from one foot to the other like she had to pee. She tried the bell one last time, about to give up and call 911. They, they wouldn't lock up a 12-year-old if she really was worried, right? When muffled footsteps resounded from inside the house, Michaela held a sigh of relief. The door opened. An aged woman stood there, older than mom, wearing what looked like a carpet. She raised an eyebrow at the tween on her doorstep. Help you? I'm Michaela Haskins from across the street. She turned to point at their new house, and if she had been a hair faster, she might have seen the man with Dirk Perryman's fingerprints disappearing into the side yard, her little brother in a headlock. The woman, Zephyr, her name was, mock curtsy. I finally get to meet the other lady of the house. Selamatiang, young miss, as they say. Michaela didn't know anyone who said that. My mom, she's acting... Funny? Peculiar? Passing strange? I, I can't say I'm surprised. That house. The woman trailed off, staring into the distance. I need your help, Michaela said. I don't know what to. Zephyr held up a hand. Say no more. Come in while I get a few things. I'm going to do what I should have done a long, long time ago. Michaela blinked. What's that? Zephyr clenched a fist. I'm going to exercise the pants off that horrible, horrible house with prejudice. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace. Pro and
and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?